You're listening to Straight from the Pulpit. Here you will find sermons taken directly from the pulpit of Shenandoah Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. We preach Christ, study the Word of God, and help the Christian grow spiritually by applying God's Word to their lives. For more information or to read the pastor's blog, go to sbcverona.com. That is sbcverona.com. chapter number nine, we read about the conversion of Saul. We were just in Acts 7 and 8 previous weeks talking about uh, the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, about how he got saved and how uh, he uh, got baptized and, and even how he went on to serve the Lord. We talked about Philip and Philip's hand in this. Philip was prepared. Philip was already working and serving the Lord. And then when God called, Philip heard and went running in the direction God pointed him. And then God was able to do something tremendous through Philip, who at this time, he wasn't, he wasn't a, a minister or a preacher in that sense. He was a layman. But yet God was using him tremendously. Now, we're not necessarily doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts But as I go through this, sometimes I just kind of want to point something else out as we go along. And so we're in Acts chapter number nine again this morning. I read a story about two brilliant antagonists of the Christian faith from England. One was named Lord Littleton and the other was Gilbert West. And they made it their lives and their life's ambition to destroy Christianity. If you are a testimony for Christ, you're going to run into people who make it their lives' ambition to destroy Christianity. If you try to speak up and use your voice in any way, you're going to find people who are against you. One one of the methods that a lot of people use today to be a testimony for the Lord is through the internet, is through social media, and being that's, that's the marketplace, so to speak, today. That's where the people are. If you want to go and find the, uh, you know, 35 and older, you go to Facebook. If you want to go and find uh, the 25 and younger, you go to places like TikTok or Instagram, and there's a lot of filth on those places. Uh, and, and just as a, a way of warning, you know, you, your kids have no business being on those things. Um, you need to have a very uh, close uh, watch and heavy hand uh, if they're going to be involved in those things anyway, because They're not spiritually mature enough. They're not physically mature enough, mentally mature enough, emotionally mature enough to be able to handle the garbage that goes on in those social media platforms. It will destroy them. I saw it happen many, many, many times as a youth pastor, as a school teacher, and as a principal. I saw the filth that even church Christian school kids were getting themselves involved in on social media because mom and dad didn't know. It was all hidden from mom and dad. Mom and dad didn't care to look or check up on them. They assumed that the sweet Christian kid they appeared to be on the outside was the same thing that was going on in their hidden lives on their cell phones, and sometimes it wasn't. And it hurt. It caused great devastation sometimes. So for children, you know, they have no business being there. And even as adults, and I tell you, it can be very difficult for us too. You need to have a purpose, a purpose so that it protects you a purpose for when you uh, use those things. You know, when it comes to a, a platform like TikTok, it is, it is filled to the brim with garbage. Uh, and so I don't scroll, I don't read, I, don't, I, am a, I have zero consumption whatsoever on TikTok. The only thing I do is post preaching videos uh, or snippets of sermons or other things like that. 
and uh, it reaches people. And, you know, I want to have a voice. This is where the 25 and unders are, you know. Uh, and I want the, the Word of God to have a voice there to prick the hearts. But you know what? It makes some people mad. The same thing with YouTube or Facebook. Some people don't like, you know, the Word of God. Well, these two men, Lord Littleton and Gilbert West, made it their lives ambition to destroy Christianity. They were friends. And they thought if they could disprove two claims of Christianity, they could destroy people's faith. One was to destroy um, people's faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And two, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And so they split up and decided to work individually on these things, the resurrection and the conversion of Saul, to discredit them. Months later, they came back together. And they found out that both of them, in the midst of their study, had become born-again Christians. It's a hard thing to study the Word of God and it, it not affect you. Littleton, he's the one who studied Saul's conversion. He later wrote, The conversion and apostleship of Paul alone, duly considered in and of itself, or is of itself a demonstration sufficient to prove Christianity to be a divine revelation. He got it right. And as we look at Paul this morning, we are going to study the soul-saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The soul-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you were among the early Christians and you heard this man's name, Saul, it would have brought fear to your hearts because he wanted Christianity destroyed. He traveled far and wide to make it happen. And then when he was able to stir up enough trouble against them, he was able to stand by and watch the destruction happen under his very gaze. Of course, we know that Stephen, one of the deacons who was a, a, a loud and proud preacher of Jesus Christ, and when I say proud, I don't, I don't mean that in a sinful sense, but when Stephen was stoned, of course, Paul was standing there holding everybody's coats. Oh, he wasn't involved in the murder of this man, but he was certainly, as many say, consenting to his death. He was certainly there, a part of it. He just didn't want to have the blood on his own hands. This is the man that we would consider to modern day persecutors or persecutors of, of those even during our lifetimes, of those who have going after people because of their faith, going after them because of their ethnicity or race, going after them and wanting to wipe them out completely. This is a person who you feared, not because he might say something mean, but because you might get arrested, separated from your family, and even killed because of this man's determination to destroy the church. But you know what God did? God took somebody who was blinded by unbelief, and then he blinded him with the light of the gospel of Christ and opened his eyes. Blinded him physically and opened his eyes with the gospel of Christ. He took a persecutor and made of him an apostle. He took a staunch defender of the law and turned him into a preacher of grace. This may be one of the most important conversions of history, some would say. Paul is turned from a persecutor of the church to one of the main proponents of the gospel in the Gentile world and author, penman, of most of the New Testament. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I tell you what, when you look at the life of Paul, who was once Saul the persecutor, you can't help but see a transformation occur. Behold, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Paul himself said it because Paul himself experienced it. I heard a story about a lady, lady who was walking out of a beauty shop and she passed another woman and thought she recognized her. Mary Smith, hey, I haven't seen you in years, man. You sure have changed. You've slimmed down. Your hair's different. Uh, you're dressing different. Man, what a difference, Mary. And the woman said, uh, my name is Martha Jones. She said, wow, you've even changed your name. <laughs> Saul was so radically changed when he got saved, his name changed too. Because he became such a vastly different person. We look here in Psalm, uh, not Psalm, Acts chapter number nine, verse number one. What is Saul doing here at the very beginning of this chapter? It says, in Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Let's stop and think about the ruthlessness of this man here. It says, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Those are some vehement words, some strong words. This means that while Paul was in the midst of yelling out these threatenings, I mean, Try to bring to, some, to mind somebody today that, that maybe you have seen them rant against Christianity. You've seen them get red in the face and angry because of somebody talking about Jesus or somebody quoting scripture. And I've met people like that before, that it wasn't merely me that made them angry, but it was the word of God that I brought in my hand that brought redness to their face and made them furiously angry. Well, not because I did or said something that offended them. I dared to bring the name Jesus or to bring the word of God into that situation. And that is the power of God and salvation. But you bring to your mind somebody like this who is that angry. And then imagine that person turning into one of the major preachers of the gospel. It's happened time and time and time again. Where the drunkard who hates the church, who hates the man of God, gets saved and becomes a preacher. Sometimes we think some of our loved ones or people we pray for are too far gone, but you know what? That's not true at all. Saul was so radically changed here that, number one, Saul received a new Lord. Saul received a new Lord. Up until now, his Lord was power, it was prestige, it was persecution. Up until now, his Lord was religion, the Jewish religion. And he was going to fight to his death to protect the Jewish religion. And the church, Jesus Christ specifically, was a major threat to Judaism. He saw it. And that is why he fought it so strongly. But in verse number 6... He says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? In verse number five, who art thou, Lord? He calls Jesus Lord nine more times. 
in the rest of this passage. Just five seconds with Jesus Christ changed Saul to this point where he calls him Lord. In Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. This is meaning that, that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Son of God, that he is who he says he is and came why he says he came and did what he says he did and is where he says he is. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Not like Philippians 2, 10 and 11, where it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee should bow. Imagine every knee will bow. One day, every knee will bow. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. He goes on to saying that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, the main difference is whether or not you choose to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord here on this earth or before the great white throne, great white throne judgment of God. Will you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord today? Many of you already have. Many of you already have made that decision to trust Christ and what he did on the cross to save you from your sins. Many folks have not. You may be here today. You may be watching this. If you have not confessed, and I'm not talking about some magic incantation that you speak the words and it magically makes you saved. I'm talking about believing and confessing with our mouth, believing in our hearts. This is what salvation is. It isn't the dipping under the water. It isn't the sprinkling upon the head. Salvation time and time and time and time again through Scripture is just this. Paul received a new Lord, and he called him such. Number two, Paul received new sight. New sight. Look down at verse number 18. It says in verse 18, And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. We know that when, when Saul was there riding on that donkey on the road to Damascus, he was knocked off of his donkey blinded by this bright light. And then there was a voice coming from the sky and he could hear it and he could understand it. And it literally blinded him. <clears throat> but I think it was meant to illustrate to him and maybe others what happens to us in the spiritual realm. You know, some folks sit in pews for years waiting to be saved waiting to be saved until something smacks them up against the head, waiting until they can see clearly, understand this, you're not going to be able to see everything in Scripture clearly until you get saved and until you have the Holy Spirit to be that light to illuminate Scripture before your eyes and to be that guide to direct you through Scripture, to bring you to understanding of the knowledge of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. You get on, online and you quote Scripture and people just laugh at you. I put a little snippet from Psalm 53 on YouTube and it was about, <clears throat> was Jesus attractive? You know, was he a beautiful person? Of course, we know from Psalm 53 that he did not have the benefit of beauty. To, make, to draw people unto him. That, was not, was, that wasn't how it was supposed to happen. He wasn't supposed to be in a mansion with great beauty and everybody just flocked to him because of these things. 
Somebody responded, well, show me a picture and then I'll let you know. Obviously, we don't have a picture of Jesus. A lot of people like to make fun when you talk about the word of God. And that's fine. Let them make fun. Let them go out there in their ignorance and speak those things because then they will answer for those things. It said, the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Psalm 82.5 reminds us the world is lost in spiritual blindness. He says, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. Proverbs 4.19 says, the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not what they stumble. Matthew 13, Jesus is quoting Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and he says this, Therefore speak I unto them in parables, because they, seeing not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Even the, the leaders were blind, in Matthew 15, 14. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. In Matthew 23, 26, he says, Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. And on and on, many other verses. In Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. But in 2 Corinthians 3, 14, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, we're told that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 2 Timothy 3, 7, ever learning, but never able to come into the knowledge of the truth. Oftentimes in scripture, we see the idea of darkness and spiritual darkness and those that, um, that don't believe and then light. Do you want to walk in darkness through your life or do you want to walk in light? I think the obvious answer is going to be light. You go walking through my house in darkness, you better be careful because there's army men all over the place and there's um, Legos and other toys. You'll trip over this and fall over that and it, it can be a very intrepid experience to go through my house in the middle of the night. I hope you know, the thieves that come to my house bring a flashlight because uh, they're not going to make it very far. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely know they'll, they're coming because they'll be going, ow, ooh, ooh, bunk, ouch, you know, as they try to get through our house on a normal basis. We desire to have that light. We all desire that. I don't like to walk through the, the, the woods in the middle of the night. It's kind of scary, especially when you're out in the wilderness. It's dark outside. All you have is your little headlamp. You begin to think to yourself, what other things might be out here with me? <laughs> Who else might be out here with me? And I just can't see them, but they can see me because I have a headlight on. They know where I'm going. I remember walking through the woods one time and uh, Dale and Sam and... A couple of the boys were walking. They were going a different direction than I was going, and I was climbing down the mountain this way, and I heard a hoot owl. It was loud. <clears throat> I'm still not sure if it was Dale or a real owl. But man, it was loud, and it kind of like, ooh, I wasn't expecting a loud noise because it, it was pitch black and quiet out there. As I was trying to find the, my place where I was going to sit and hunt that morning, 
Um, and then I went and sat down there and I thought to myself, boy, any number of things could be sneaking up behind me <laughs> right now. As I sat there in the complete pitch black dark, I didn't want to turn my headlamp off. I didn't want the deer to know where I was, but I didn't, I didn't want to turn it off because I wanted to still be able to see what was going on around me. Tell you what, darkness can be scary for a lot of folks. Kids, they want those, those lights on in their room at night so that uh, they don't see the shadows. The shadows can scare them. The darkness. Of course, as parents, we know there's nothing there. That's what I tell my kids all the time. There's nothing there in the dark that wasn't there in the light. Just with the, because the lights go off doesn't mean something magically shows up in your room. It's not the way it works. The same things that are there during the light are the same things that are there at night. But when it comes to spiritual things, there's darkness and there's light. And when we get saved, we are to go from darkness to light. Our prayer ought to be this from Psalm 119, 18. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Saul was blind for three days. He didn't eat or drink for three days. As he comes to the realization that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is who he really says he is, that Jesus is the Messiah, the spiritual scales come off of his eyes. The physical scales come off of his eyes. When the scales fall off, we begin to see our sin the same way God sees it. The drunk recognizes his problem. The thief understands his plight. The liar understands the immorality. The cheater understands the consequences of his life. When the scales come off of our eyes, when we walk into the light, is education that light? Is education the answer? No, they'll just be a smarter thief. A smarter pervert. A smarter liar. A smarter murderer. Education is not the answer to crime. Education is not the answer. Our world tells us today that if they just got a college education for free, then they would be lifted out of the crime that they are in. Our world tells us today that if they just had another thousand dollars given to them by the government, then they could lift themselves out of poverty, lift themselves out of their criminal mindset and the way they've been living. It's not money. And it's not education that changes people. It is the transformation of God in their hearts that changes people. The poorest of the poor can get saved and be transformed. No longer do they curse. No longer do they drink. No longer do they hurt their bodies with substances. No longer do they look at the things they ought not look at. No longer do they do the things or touch the things they ought not touch. They've been transformed inside and God is doing a great work in the poorest of the poor. In the uneducated, God can do wonderful, magnificent works. Educating the man and giving the man money is not going to change his life dramatically. But the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in a man coming face to face with Jesus, that will change a man. It may not change where he came from, but it will definitely change the direction that he is going and for sure where he is going to end up in eternity. Saul had a new sight. He also received a new dynamic. I can't see if things are changing back there, so I don't know if it's coming up. He received a new dynamic. Look at verse number 20. Verse number 20, and straightway he preached Christ. Wow, can you imagine? 
Let's just put this in our own way of understanding. Can you imagine if Adolf Hitler were to walk into a synagogue and begin to do whatever they do in synagogues, <laughs> worship with the Jews? You imagine he shows his face in one of those synagogues and they are running because they know what this man's up to. Imagine members from the SS. Imagine that they come in in their German uniforms and we know what sort of things they did. Imagine they walk into a church or they walk into a synagogue. What are the Jews going to want to do? They're going to want to get out of there fast because they're afraid of what this man has represents, of what he's been doing. This is the Apostle Paul going into the synagogue to preach. To preach what? Jesus Christ. That is the exact 180 of what he has been, quote-unquote, preaching. Of what he has been fervently doing and, and battling. Now he is battling with Christ. There's a whole new dynamic. Look at verse number 22. It says, But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. He got up there and spoke exactly what, the opposite of what they thought he was going to say. And man, he really threw them for a loop. He confused them greatly. Paul, Saul, I don't understand what you're doing here. You hated the church, and now you're preaching to me Jesus Christ. I don't know what to do with this information. And hey, that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing when we present the gospel to somebody or the word of God to somebody or the truth to somebody, and they don't know what to do with that information. Because it means that we've disturbed them. And I tell you what, we all need to be disturbed from time to time, don't we? We all need our feathers ruffled from time to time. That helps us get things cooperated and helps us get things straight in our own lives when we get our feathers ruffled. Look at verse number 29. It says in verse number 29, He spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. He went from persecutor to persecuted. He has a whole brand new dynamic. Man, Paul took what God gave to him. He became a trophy of grace. Paul himself regarded himself as a brand that was plucked from the burning fire. He referred to himself as a chief of sinners, as the less than the least of all the saints. He referred to himself as the least of the apostles and not meet or fit to even be an apostle. He referred to himself as nothing. You can be changed like that too. Just do what God did. I'm sorry, just do what Saul did. When you face God, say, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Too often, we have this quote-unquote salvation experience, and we never get called to anything more. Oh, not that the calling wasn't there. We have this salvation experience and we walk out the back doors largely the same as how we came in. And we're not called to holiness in future services. We're not called to a, a personal knowledge of Christ in future services. We're just given a spoonful of sugar and a spoonful of goodness every time we show up to church. And they're never called to anything more than that. What wilt thou have me do? That's you throwing your hands up 
and saying, I'm done trying. I'm done putting all my effort into vain, useless, and worthless things. Lord, what would you have me to do? It is your turn to lead and direct. Whatever you surrender, he's going to take. Whatever he takes, he cleanses. And whatever he cleanses, he fills. And whatever he fills, he uses. Heard a story about an old man that was out fishing and he heard a voice and he looked down and there was a frog there. And the frog said, kiss me, kiss me and I'll become a beautiful princess. He put it in his pocket and kept right on going. The frog said, hey, did you hear me? I said, if you kiss me, I'll become a beautiful princess. And the man said, honestly, at my age, I'm just happy with a, with a talking frog. <laughs> the voice of the Lord is confronting some today on this road. Maybe you're on your Damascus road today and the voice is calling out and confronting you and saying, I can do amazing things through you if you let me change you. If you place your faith and your trust in me so that I can save you from your eternity of paying for your sins in hell. So that instead of that, I can take you as a vessel and clean you and then use you greatly for my honor and glory. Maybe, Christian, we are so dirtied up today. We try to keep the outside looking nice, but the inside is so dirtied up that God can't take the vessel and use it. He's waiting. He's waiting for us to surrender to him, to his cleansing. Saul had a new light. I'm sorry, Lord, new sight a new dynamic, a new love. Look at verse number 19. Verse number 19, And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with who? Uh, the people who were hiding from him previously was with the disciples which were at Damascus. Before he was against the disciples, now he is sitting there quietly listening to them. Once he loathed them, now he loves them. Once he threatened them, now here he is fellowshipping with them. Once he wanted to jail them and kill them, and now here he is on his knees praying with them, spending time with them. And one of the first two words he heard back in verse number 17 is this, Brother Saul. That must have been important to him. Brother Saul, Ananias, comes risking him his own self. This could have been a trick. Paul or Saul pretending to be saved. But he heard brother Saul. You know, you cannot love Jesus without loving his people. And if you don't truly love his people, if you don't love being with his people, it tells us about my, his love, your love for him. You need to be at home in a church. You know, a Christian ought not to be at home in other places, above being at home in church. I understand about maybe where you're from or where your home place was, where you grew up. I understand about some of those things, but I tell you what, we ought to be the most at home in the house of God with people who are like we are. Maybe they don't have the same accent as us. Maybe they don't have the same bloodline running as us or the same experiences as us. But I tell you what, it is within the walls of this church that we find people who are just like us because we are walking the same road, we are fellowshipping at the same time, we are going to the same place, we are working towards the same goal, or at least we ought to be. He received a new love. 
a love for his Lord, a love to serve his Lord, a love for his brothers and sisters, a love for the church. You know what the law of affinity is? It is this, that people gather themselves in groups based upon common, common interest and common values. Community in America is dissipating at a very fast rate. With the modern age of technology, no longer do we have to get to know our neighbors to have conversations with people. And the church itself is becoming that way, especially since COVID. No longer do I have to show up to church. I can just watch it either live or later. And so I can still get my church on whenever it's convenient for me. That's not what church is. A church is a literally a called out assembly that's a grouping together and joining ourselves together of believers. That's what we're supposed to be this morning. A group or assembly of believers that have been called out from the world. And we gather here in this safe harbor so that we can open the word of God, so that we can worship the word, worship God, so that we can hear its words preached and the spirit has the freedom to move in our hearts and change us. If you're one of God's people, you're going to want to be in God's house on the Lord's day with God's family, studying God's word. And then number five, God gave Saul a new purpose. His sole purpose before getting saved, destroy, that, destroy the church. And he lived for that purpose. After getting saved, his sole goal was to build the church to grow the church. Before he was saved, he was trying to keep people from hearing about Jesus. You know, I think sometimes praying makes some folks uncomfortable, even Christians. Praying ought not make us uncomfortable. It ought to be just an extension of how we already live. We already ought to be in the mode of prayer constantly. And then when we have to open up our, our mouths and pray, even in earshot of other folks, that ought not to be something to be afraid of or ashamed of because we're just lifting up our hearts to the Lord. I don't need to be ashamed or afraid to talk to my, to my wife if somebody else is listening. I don't need to be ashamed or afraid to talk to my children or to any one of you if somebody else is listening, unless it's a you know, sensitive topic maybe, but I don't need to be afraid to talk to the Lord if somebody else is listening too. Instead, let them join in my prayer with me by hearing me. He was trying to keep people from hearing about Jesus, trying to stamp out the name Jesus Christ. I don't know how you can have church without the name Jesus Christ. I don't know how you can see people get saved without talking about Jesus Christ. He is, he is the central pillar to salvation in the gospel. If you remove his name, you remove everything that any religion, that, that the Christianity itself is built upon. You remove the word of God. Man, now Paul suddenly can't help but see Jesus in the Old Testament passages where before he was blinded. To him, it was an intellectual exercise. But now, as he reads about the sacrifices, as he reads about the, the labor and the washing, and, and he reads in the Old Testament passages, he can't help but see Jesus now. Boy, much has changed. Because Paul asked two questions. Verse number five, who art thou, Lord? And in verse number six, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And Paul spent the rest of his life searching out the rich answers to those questions. Getting to know God better for who he is and determining God's will and then doing it. 
And these same goals extend to us if we're Christians. Getting to know God better. We talked about that in Sunday school. You may know of God. You may have been taught about God, just like you may know of a politician or of a, a singer or an actress or an artist. You may know of them and you may know some things about them, but you probably don't know them. And there's a lot of people sitting in churches right now who know of God. And they may know a little bit about him, but all they have ever done is sit in a church and have an intellectual or religious exercise. And never have they had a relationship with God in all of that time. Who are you, Lord? Getting to know who he is. What do you want me to do, Lord? Getting to know how God wants to use you every turn of the way. And God has left you here for a purpose. He didn't forget us. He didn't say, oh, I got some great things for the church. And then as time went by, he's like, oh, yeah, the church. I forgot about them. That's not the, what happened. You're here for a specific purpose and for a reason. It's not just making a living. It's not accumulating wealth so that your kids can fight over it one day. It's not trying to upgrade your house or upgrade your car before you finally die and have, you have to give it to somebody else. That's not the purpose that God has given to you as a Christian. Your purpose is knowing God, and your purpose is serving God. We use our gifts and talents along the way. We use the finances and the things that God has given to us along the way, but those are supposed to be tools to help propel us in our purpose for God, not distract us away from our purpose for God. Your world is found in your circles family, friends, co-workers, neighbors. And so you are to go out and to reach your world. You know people I don't know. You have close relationships with folks who are unsaved that I don't, I don't have the means or the opportunity to be able to reach them in the way that you would be able to reach them if you were to become a testimony and a witness for Christ. And the religious world is just as confusing there's so many names and denominations and beliefs and the lost people just look at that confusion and that maze and many don't even bother sticking their toes in because they don't even know where to start in the religious world. And they look at it and they don't see much light in it. But do they see light when they watch you? Hopefully they don't just see a grumpy person <laughs> or a difficult person. I know our personalities can vary. We can have good days and bad days. No one expects you to be perfect. Man, do they see light when they see you, when they hear you speak, when they watch you go to church, when they watch you with your children and your grandchildren, do they see light? What they need to see is Jesus, not the church, not the preacher. They need to see Jesus. A lot of things changed for Paul at that moment of salvation. You see, salvation is not a, a lifelong process that some people think it is. Salvation is that moment like birth. Now, if you're giving birth, you might think it's a lifelong thing. <laughs> you might think it's never going to end, right? Um, but moment, you know, that, that, that birth moment, man, it just, even if it lasts hours, it seems like it went by so fast. And you look back and maybe wish you could go back to that time again. 
maybe not to experience the pain again, but the joy of birth. I'll tell you what, that moment when, when Saul got saved, he got a new Lord, he got a new sight, he got a new dynamic, and he got a new love, and he got a new purpose. And this encompasses all of Saul. He becomes Paul. He becomes one of the foremost of the apostles, even though he didn't think he was. Man, he gives such incredible instruction to the church, telling us how we ought to behave, what, we ought to, what, what is the church, what we ought to do, telling us a lot of these things because Paul got saved. Because a sinner got saved. Let me ask you this question this morning. Have you been saved? I'm not asking if you've been to church or been baptized or had some sort of religious experience. I'm asking, have you had that transformative experience? Maybe the light didn't blind you and knock you off your donkey. I don't ever have a donkey. You've probably never even been on a donkey, maybe. I'm not asking if you were blind for three days. I'm not asking if you heard a voice coming out of the sky. I'm asking you if you've had that one moment in your life, that one time where you understood who Jesus was and what he did because it was presented to you. And you confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. The Bible says thou shalt be saved. It's an assured thing. The Bible says you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. Scripture says it. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that you may know for sure that you are in possession currently of eternal life from this day forward. You have that assuredness. If not, let today be the day of salvation. There's no reason to look down upon yourself if you've not gotten that settled. There's no reason to be ashamed. There's no reason to think others in this room are going to look down upon you. If they do, they're wrong, not you. Would you get that settled today? Maybe you're watching online. Would you contact me? Reach out and get that settled today. Saul got saved and man, God did some amazing things through him. What could God do through you? What could God do through a surrendered or a saved, surrendered, serving and sold out you? Let that provoke your thoughts today. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe the Lord has worked in your heart concerning something today. If he has, would you get it dealt with? Christian, maybe the Holy Spirit's knocking on that door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man just simply come to that door and let me enter in, I will come in with him and sup with him. Will you answer that door? Maybe the Holy Spirit is poking, prodding. Maybe he's whispering something this morning. Is your heart quiet enough to hear it? Is your heart at peace enough to have heard it? Maybe what you heard this morning was your need for salvation. Would you get that dealt with and settled this morning too? You have been listening to Straight from the Pulpit podcast from the pulpit of Shenandoah Baptist Church in Verona, Virginia. Be sure to follow this podcast and share this sermon with a friend. And if you're listening on Spotify, please leave us a five-star review. See you next time.